Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. Today, I am fired up to be joined by a good friend of mine, Mr. John Gordon. John is a best-selling author. His books have sold well over 3 million copies. He's been featured on all of the networks, the Today Show and CNN and Fox and & Friends and Wall Street Journals, and he speaks to Fortune 100 companies. We were just talking uh, before this about him going to Ireland and speaking to Dell and heading off to Singapore for Dell and... Uh, you name it, he's done there. He's spoken for Buffini and Company, so you know he's got to be great. John, I am delighted to have you come join our audience today at the top of the morning to you, pal. Great to be with you, Brian. Well, I'm excited. We have a number of folks, obviously, that probably have every book you've ever written. We have folks that, uh, you know, every time I think I've exhausted all the possibilities and I go to an audience and nobody's heard of me, there's some folks who uh, this may be their first exposure to the great John Gordon. So, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time together over the years, knowing each other, speaking at events. But let's do a little bit of this. Uh, how about a little bit of a Reader's Digest on the John Gordon story? Tell folks a little bit of who you are, where you came from, where you grew up, and how you ended up in the speaking racket of all things. Sure. Well, I grew up in Lyon, New York, in a Jewish-Italian family. A lot of food, a lot of guilt. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of wine, a lot of whining. <laughs> And mom, she, you know, wanted the son, the doctor, the son, the lawyer. My brother went to Johns Hopkins pre-med. I go to Cornell University pre-law. So she's telling everyone, my son, the doctor, my son, the lawyer. Oh, wow. Yeah, he comes out an actor. I came out a bartender. <laughs> so she was devastated. She was devastated. So I, I literally go to Atlanta after college, right after Cornell, and I'm now bartending in a bar. And I'll never forget, she walked in, and I'm... On a bar, we make eye contact, and I'm pouring shots into people's mouths while I see my mom. <laughs> You're the doctor of shots. <laughs> yeah, we never talked about it. And I look back, and I think she had to be so upset. Like, what have I done wrong? What's happened to my son? What's going to become of him? But I got a master's in teaching. I ran for city council when I was 26. I actually opened up a bar in Buckhead, so after I bartended, I opened up a bar. Wow. The teaching drove me to open a bar, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just kidding, but I was going to try to do both, and then you know, really got into the business world, and then uh, went to law school for a year and a half, dropped out of law school after a year and a half, second year exams, just walked out, went to go work for a dot-com, thought I was going to make my millions. The dot-com crashed during the big dot-com crash. And at that moment, it's a long story, but at that moment, I just said, okay, what am I born to do? Why am I here? I know I'm here for a reason. I was about 29, 30 years old. My wife and I were fighting all the time. I was miserable, unhappy. She threatened to leave me. And I said, I got to change. And I begged her to stay. I agreed to change. And that began my journey in mm. doing this because I never wrote and spoke before, but it was a transformative time. And a few years later, around 2006, I wrote The Energy Bus, and that would begin my journey into writing a lot of these books and speaking and so forth. Let me dive in here a little bit, because I know you went through a spiritual transformation. You've gone through a personal transformation. You know, your wife, you guys have a great relationship today. You've got a great family with your kids People have got to be going, man, I am where he was. Yep. 
How do you go from down in the dumps, she's walking out the door, to the energy bus? In the Reader's Digest version, what are some of the things someone in that spot might do? What are some of the things you did? Yes, well, it's a good point to talk about some things that I did so people could hopefully learn from it and yeah. know that where you are now is not where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. So I just gave a talk, Stay Positive, God Has a Plan. Mm-hmm. So I looked back and I said, all right. I'm going to start making some changes. So I started to take a walk every day, a walk of gratitude and prayer. And mm-hmm. every day I would practice gratitude for the little things. And I started to pray to God for my future. Show me the way. Why am I here? Mm-hmm. What am I meant to do? And a lot of ideas came to me on those walks. After begging my wife to stay, I mean, I really committed to being a better husband and also a better father to my young children. And I then opened up a Moe's Southwest Grill restaurant Second mortgaged our home, $20,000 in credit cards. I don't recommend everyone do that. <laughs> I violated all business plans in doing that. Dave Ramsey's holding his ears right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I violated all business plans by literally just putting everything I had into mm-hmm. this mode. But the goal was to make this restaurant successful, which would then allow me to write and speak. Mm-hmm. And it was during that time that we broke even, broke even, broke even. Money's running out. I mean, we had no money in the bank. And it was a really scary time. But it was where my faith was born. Mm. And I looked back and I saw God carry me, my family, during that time. And my prayer was, God, please provide for me and I will do your work. And that became my prayer. And I saw God provide. So it was a transformative time from a faith perspective as well, because that's where I came to faith. Mm. I mean, when you have nothing else to turn to, when you are lost and you know that if this doesn't make it, you are bankrupt, your whole family's future is on the line. When you don't have anything, you realize God is all you need. And God is all you have, ultimately. And Cool Hand Luke, my all-time favorite movie, you know, sometimes nothing is a pretty cool hand, right? Yeah. You get to that place. Here's another thought, though, for me is, you know, people who would see you today, anyone who's encountered you today, anyone who sees you on stage, you have a charismatic smile. You kind of light up a room. Like, you are a positive guy. You exude this energy. You give this good stuff. And again, everybody puts on their pants one leg at a time. But you said you were a critical guy. You were a down guy. You were whining and complaining. That became your persona, which anybody who knows you today is like, "Ah, that doesn't seem to fit. Was it that statement of gratitude every day? Is, Is that one of the things that helped turn the corner and just like... Just get you in a different state where you start, instead of focusing on what you don't have, you start focusing on what you do and who you have and what you are as opposed to what you're not. Is is that really one of the big contributors? Very much so. A big part of it was the no complaining role, focusing on mm. what I get to do, not what I have to do. Right. Being grateful, identifying things that were great about my life instead of things that were wrong. I would get up every day, go to that Moe's Southwest Grill, wipe tables down. People didn't even know I was the owner. And I would just say, it's going to be a great day today. I expect all the customers that are going to come in here and benefit from just being here. They're going to love eating here. I could see all the people coming in. And sure enough, people would just come in droves. It was incredible. It became the top Moe's in the country. It was the first one in Florida, but it became a very successful Moe's Southwest Grill. I eventually opened four of them. (laughs) But even then, I still wasn't fully positive. And I believe it also a big part of why I exude that now is because I am living my purpose. Mm. I believe we all have a purpose. I believe that we have to live on purpose to ultimately find our bigger purpose. You have to 
be faithful in the small things, serving in small ways, helping people. That's what I did. I said, I'm just going to make a difference where I am. I didn't expect that I was going to reach all the people I'm reaching now. I never thought I would sell over 3 million books. I never thought I would you know, speak to the crowds I do just you know, like you do. But I started to make a difference. And the vision was, and this is what I said, inspire and empower as many people as possible, one person at a time. Mm-hmm. But it started with myself first. It has to start with you. And it was, right. okay. Be positive yourself. Focus on the positive. Start celebrating successes every day. Every night my kids went to bed, I would ask them what their success of the day was. What was the one great thing that happened today? Hmm. We did those kind of things. Again, I'm not naturally positive. So people think I am. And yes, when I'm on stage, I smile. But I naturally go towards the negative. So I would say over the years, I become a lot more positive. Hmm. Because it's a focus of mine. But I'll never be as positive or as happy as the naturally positive person. But see, I think that's what makes you useful, John. See, I think, uh, you know, out of your pain comes your passion. Yes. I think it's because of that. That's why you're useful. When I speak to people about their finances, I don't speak as the guy that's living the life today. I remember the pain of the guy that owed 250 grand in medical bills as a 19-year-old and I couldn't pay rent. And out of that comes that empathy. Out of that comes that encouragement. And I I think that's what makes us useful. I'll be honest with you. I think that's what makes us useful to God. He breaks us down and builds us up out of compassion. And so I I think it's great. You know, John, I sat on a panel one time on a TV show, and there were four bestsellers. And the interviewer said, have you ever had a bad day? And one by one, the four authors said, absolutely not. It's a state of mind. I live in a state of positivity and this and the other. And then they got to me, and I go, I'm sorry to tell you. I know all these guys. And I know they've had bad days because I've been with them when they've had bad days. You know, and it's like, because it's the like. And I said, you know, here's why I don't like this interview. Because if somebody's having a bad day, if somebody's battling depression, if somebody's battling negativity, their kids have gone sideways, they're going sideways, they're battling negative thoughts, they've had a bunch of bad breaks, they think something's wrong with them if they hear someone else say, I only have a smile. You know, it's like the Joker is the only person who has a permanent smile on his face, right? No, that's good. Right? And he, that's good. he's the darkest guy of all time. That's good. You know, so I think the fact that you have that and that you came from that and you continue to fight that, that's what makes you so valuable. That's why I wanted to share you with our audience today, to be honest with you, because I know that's true and I know that's how you are. But at the same time, so here's a guy that struggled with negativity or being critical or whatever else. And you are the guy today that can and does light up a room and light up the world, which you're writing, which is an even harder thing. And I appreciate that. And it's funny because I just wrote The Power of Positive Leadership. And in the intro chapter, I said, it's ironic that I would be the one that would write this book because (laughs) I'm not naturally positive. But I said, because I've had to work at it, it has made me a good teacher. So I meet so many people come up to me and say, hey, I read The Energy Bus. I was George. I was that negative guy. Mm -hmm. It changed my life. And George was based on me when I wrote The Energy Bus, which a lot of people don't know. And so here's this guy who's down and out, all negative, and he meets Joy, the bus driver, and she shares with him the 10 rules for the ride of his life that helps him become a more positive person. And it's really a journey from negative to positive. And that's actually the first chapter in the Positive Leadership book is about from negative to positive, because I think people need to know, because most people have been down and out. Most people do struggle with negativity. Mm. Most people have moments of fear, sadness, hopelessness, and they need to know that Again, where they are now is not where they're going to be, but 
if we can find that moment of hope, if we can reframe the negative and look for the opportunity, if we can look at the failure and say, you know what, I'm not failing, I'm growing and I'm becoming, and every failure I've ever had hasn't defined me, it's refined me, then we can really start to go through the challenges, but then grow from them. You bet. Let, let me do this for a sec. Let's go back to the energy bus. So here's the guy with the restaurants. He's growing. He's, he's got the wife back. He's doing good. Yep. He's, now, all of a sudden, see, again, you and I both know that people think that we've never had a bad day. Everything we've ever touched has turned to gold. The minute you publish a book, they start writing you million-dollar checks. That <laughs> wasn't exactly the case with anything we've ever done. Can you walk people through? I love the story of how the energy bus got going. Tell them a little bit about the energy bus and how it came about as far as the book and then how it got launched uh, initially. Well, I was walking one day because the writing and speaking wasn't going well at all. And mm -hmm. I had just sold the Moe's because I got this sign and the signal that it was time to sell the restaurants, focus on writing and speaking. Mm -hmm. Told my wife, all right, that's it. We're selling. We're going to focus on writing and speaking. This is what I was born to do. And my wife said, no, we can't do that. I'm like, no, I'm doing it. She said, but you aren't even good. I said, no, I have to do it. <laughs> I said, I, I, I said, my calling, I got to do it. He said, what happens if it doesn't work? And I said, there are no other plans. Mm -hmm. And I believe that when you're pursuing plan A, you shouldn't even have a plan B. Right. If that's what you truly know that you want, when you know you want it, you'll do whatever it takes to get it. And so now, though, it wasn't going well. Six months had gotten by. Now we have about a year and a half left of savings from selling the restaurants. And I'm walking and praying. And thinking about giving it up, I actually was thinking about giving it up and what am I going to do next? And that's when the energy bus came to me. Mm. So I wrote it in three and a half weeks. And that's not me. It yep. was really a lot of inspiration, God inspiration. I wrote sure. the book, then found an agent. It went out to publishers. It was rejected by over 30 publishers. Sure. My agent called me up, said, it's not going to work. Just give up or self-publish. At the time, self-publishing wasn't very popular like it is now. It wasn't mainstream. That wasn't an option for me. I said, no, we got to keep on doing it. we got to keep on putting it out there. Kept on hoping, dreaming. And finally, after sending it to John Wiley and Sons, because she hadn't sent it to them yet, and I encouraged her to do so, she did. They agreed to take it on. So now it's coming out, and not one bookstore in the United States would carry the book. <laughs> not one bookstore. But here's the funny thing. It was a huge hit in Korea. That's the key. Yeah, that South is Korea. the key. South Korea. <laughs> Not North Korea, but South Korea. <laughs> and so it's like this huge hit in South Korea, and my publisher was calling me the David Hasselhoff of South Korea. <laughs> That's great. That's yeah, great. it was hilarious. And I, you know, he was messing with me, but I said, all right, I'm going to go on a tour around this country. I'm going to go around the U.S., and I'm going to share the message in the book. Because here was my vision, and I believe everyone needs a vision. This is key for anyone listening. You need to have a vision of where you want to go. Mm. If you can see it, you can create it. If you have a vision, yep. you also have the power to make it happen. Yep. In training camp, I talk about what the best do better, right? The best know what they want. You first have to identify what is it that you truly want. And so my vision was to inspire and empower as many people as possible, one person at a time. One person at a time. Because that was going back to my initial mission. You know, when God changed me, I said, okay, it's going to be one person at a time. So on this tour, we had five people in one city that I go to, ten people in another my good friend Daniel Decker, who's still my you know business partner today, he's become the guru for authors of book launches. He works with a lot of different authors now. It's so funny, but back then, Daniel was calling up all these different radio and TV shows as I was going to each city, and he was saying, "Hey, John Gordon's coming to town. Yeah, he's internationally known. You know, I was big in Korea." 
And he really was saying that. And so they were like, oh, he's internationally known, okay. And they were having me on. But then I was doing these events that night, coffee shops and libraries and different events, and like five people would show up, 10 wow. people another, 20 people another, not very glamorous. I got sick in Nebraska. I got sick in Kansas, like definitely mm. sick. Yeah. I had an intern who was driving me around, college intern, who's now one of our key trainers and facilitators for our company, which is another great story. But he's driving me around. He was a college student, Jim Van Allen, and I'm literally passed down the back, having to like get myself ready to go speak at the next event. And it was like a band, you know, it's like one of those, yep. you know, bands that are touring, getting known, getting out there. Oh, biggest crowd we had, 100 people in Des Moines, Iowa. Come on, Des Moines. Yep. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming. That's why they showed up. <laughs> NASCAR. <laughs> like, no, it's John Gordon, not Jeff Gordon. <laughs> So wow. I got home. That's a true story, by the way. And I got home. <laughs> Instead of a NASCAR driver, here's a guy that did restaurants in Buckhead. <laughs> Great. Right, right. And now is uh, wrote a book called The Energy Bus. Yep. I get home, and I look back on that time. I mean, it was a fearful time because so I got home, didn't know what the future held. But I can look back, and like I met a business person on that tour who had me come speak to his business. Then I met a principal, and then I started to speak at schools. I had a coach, Jack Del Rio. Wow. A friend gave the book to Jack Del Rio. He had me in to speak to the Jaguars. That led to work with the Falcons, which led to work with the Texas Longhorns, then Clemson, Georgia, you name it. Started working with all these teams. I worked with the Padres this year, the Dodgers this year, Miami Heat, Oklahoma City Thunder. All that would have not have happened if I didn't do it way back when, 10 years ago. So it's been 10 years now right. on this journey. So it, yeah, it looks exciting now, but back then it was just grinding it out, sure. person to person, door to door, city to city, sharing the message. Everybody wants to get to heaven. No one wants the guy to get there, right? I mean, <laughs> right. same thing. I've done over 2,000 seminars. I've been in every crappy hotel and yep. city in America, one event at a time, one thing at a time. you got to be relentless, but it also makes you good. It does. That's where my humility you know, was born. Yeah. I still always remember that, so I never forget that. I think that's why you see guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees. You see guys like that who were so successful, and you yeah. realize that they still feel like they have something to prove. They never take anything for granted, right. and they always appreciate where they came from. I mean, I remember I was at this one hotel in Iowa, and the woman took my credit card to pay, but she was doing the laundry right behind her. That's the kind of <laughs> hotel it was. I had one. Okay, we're going to do road stories. I had one. I've got an event. It was a bigger one at the time. There were 200 people. Oh, okay. that's big for me. I'm staying at a hotel, and I call the front desk, and I go, do you have an iron and an ironing board? And she goes, yes. And I go, where are they? I'm looked in the closet and whatever. She goes, oh, we have one. It's at the front desk. <laughs> and I'm like, Really? I said, so so when I come down and get it, she goes, no, you have to do it down here. <laughs> so I go, okay. And my brother, we were sharing a room. He was running the back of the room for me. And yep. we put on our shoes, socks. We had our jocks and undershirts. And, you know, classic Irish. We walked down <laughs> the hotel. We brought our shirts with us and kind of making a point and did our ironing right there in the front of the hotel. You know, it's like, and you know, you know, you just see it all. You get to the hotels. I had a hotel one time where I checked in. It was in Denver. I get into the room, and there's fleas. And I yeah. call the front. I go, man, there's fleas in the room. I can't handle fleas. The guy goes, oh, terribly sorry, sir. I'll be right up. He comes running up with a can of Raid. <laughs> it was 11 o'clock at night. I'm exhausted. I get into the bed. There is somebody's socks in the bed. They didn't. Oh. Not only did they not change the linen, they got socks in the bed. And, you know, people get, you know, and it's, oh, Brian, you're flying in the Learjet. You know, it's the days of that. That's what you remember. That's what gives you perspective. 
it also tests how bad you want it, and it'll test your motives, right? Because if you're just about the fame, and if you're just about the money, you will get burnt up. If it's your passion, and I think, you know, you said something that's huge, because I used to say, if there's just one person in the room, I can help today. Yep. And you envision yourself as that person who needs it. And you said it one person at a time, you do it. And the next thing you know, you're an overnight success. And here you are today, you know, it's like we were talking Dabo Sweeney, the national championship winning coach of the Clemson Tigers. And now you're this person that, you know, champions the team and this and that. And you're the guru to all these. I'm really happy, by the way, you were talking to the San Diego Padres. As a San Diego fan, we need some kind of life in San Diego. (laughs) But, you know, now you're this guy and now you publish a book and it's naturally going to be big. And but it's still work and it's still that effort. But again people miss this stuff out they don't know there's there's a ferocity and a and a drive and a perseverance you have to have and that's why like this show is all about people who've been there done that and then have something to say let me kind of walk you through this for a bit sure couple of books again i bump into people all the time we did a podcast here that was hugely received but justin forsett we called him the nfl's little engine that could right he says he's five foot seven i'm not quite convinced of that his wife, Angie, was an outside hitter on the Olympic team. She was 5'8". My wife was 5'8 and was an Olympic outside hitter. So we kind of took them under our wing as a family. And he often referred to training camp as just a great influence in his life and something he hung on to. And I've talked to many great athletes and successful people and business leaders. And training camp is one of their favorites. Why do you think training camp resonates with so many folks? Well, that's my favorite book that I've written. I think mm. it's because it's the underdog trying to make it in the NFL, you know, even though it's a football book, it's not about football at all. It's really about his life and his journey of he's trying to make it, and he learns the winning habits that separate the best from the rest. So people like that. It's about excellence. But then he comes to a point where he has to overcome his fear in order to reach his goal, or in order to reach his dream. And that's what we all face. I mean, the, I've heard it said that the second most powerful force in the universe is fear, because it's the one thing that can keep you from your destiny, Mm. from your future. And I believe that that's the battle we all face. It's between fear and faith, fear and love. And so that's really a story of a guy who has to overcome that fear, very much like Rocky in a Mm. movie or any kind of movie like that, but it's the ultimate victory. But there's also a part where he finds his faith, and that's a really powerful thing that I think resonates with people. And again, I just came out of my soul as I wrote it. I literally like teared up as I wrote it. When I read the audio book, I, I teared up. And I have men that will literally email me and call me and say, hey, this book brought me to tears. And, and that's powerful. You know, my vision now, and I have a dream of making it into a movie. Mm. And that's a, a really goal that I'm going to actually start pursuing now. I don't care about making money from it. I want to share the story sure. and inspire people towards their dreams and goals. Sure. Well, in some regards, it's your own story, isn't it, John? In many ways, it is. And I think, yeah, because I was a running back. It's why I love Justin so much. We really <laughs> connect. You know, he's obviously not better than I was, but <laughs> but I was recruited to play football in college as a running back hmm. and always loved running backs. Every time I go to visit a football team, a pro or college team, the running backs always come up to me. We just hang out. We're usually about the same height. It's all awesome. <laughs> you know, we, we get along great. And there's just something about running backs. So I, don't know, I think, yeah, it was part of my story. And also it was inspired by Maurice Jones-Drew with the Jaguars. And, you know, he was short. He was an underdog. People didn't take him seriously. But it's funny because then Justin Forsett fits that mold as well, that same character. Well, I love that Maurice Jones-Drew had number 32 to remind him of the 32 teams that passed up on him on the draft. That was motivation for him. Yeah. I think sometimes people are motivated by proving people wrong. But I have to tell you, and I'm sure you feel the same way. 
I never get satisfaction of saying, I told you so, I no. proved you wrong. I really just keep moving forward. And to me, it's about proving God right, that you know what, God, mm. like you had this plan for me, and I'm just moving forward. Well, I think, like you say, all the negative emotions can get you started. They can be like a, a spark plug or an electric battery. Fear is designed to do things, right? It produces adrenaline in us and so on and so forth. But I talked to a successful businessman one time, and he was 60 years of age, and he was an industry leader, and he turned to me. As, you know, and he was an immigrant like me, and he said, do you ever wake up one morning and just you're afraid it's all going to be gone? And I went, uh, you know, I used to, but it's been a long time. And he goes, I still do. And years later, that guy ended up taking his empire and basically imploding it because he ended up becoming like a, a manic depressive type guy. And the reason is the fear that got him started that he was able to get going with. Well, that's not able to sustain you, right? And so yeah. that's why you say those negative emotions or challenges, are, they might get you started, but they can't keep you going. And it's more powerful stuff. And that's why I'm real excited to talk about this new book, The Power of Positive Leadership. I just think, I'll be honest with you, I'm asked to do a lot of work, as you know, in, in that field and speak in and this and that and the other, and there is just such a void. As much as there is just leadership this, and it's almost always technique. Yep. It's almost always technique. Talk to me about this new book. Talk to me about the power of positive leadership. Well, I'm so excited about this book because just the feedback I've gotten from it already has just been incredible, but it's a framework for positive leadership. So I take leaders through a process of what positive leaders do and also why they transform teams and organizations, why they're the ones who change the world. Because we know pessimists don't change the world, right? Mm. Naysayers talk about problems, but they don't solve them. And you look at critics, critics write words, but they don't write the future. Mm. You know who creates the future? The dreamers, the mm. believers the doers, and the positive leaders. So I study history as you do, and you look throughout history, and you see it's the positive leaders that did it. So I interviewed some phenomenal positive leaders. I've also worked with many of them, including Dabo Sweeney. I've worked with Clemson football the past five years. So I've watched as he's turned around this program. Donna Orinder with the WNBA and how she turned around the WNBA. Mm -hmm. And came from also PGA Tour, how she you know, was really instrumental in creating a lot of programs that the modern current PGA Tour still uses to this day. So there are all these different people and common characteristics of positive leadership. So they drive positive cultures. They create and share a positive vision for the road ahead. They lead with optimism, belief, and positivity. They confront and transform negativity. If they can't transform it, they will remove it because you must deal with negativity. So I talk about that because since the energy bus has been written, a lot of people say, yeah, energy vampires, they're a problem. But what do you do here? What do you do there? So I take everything I've learned over the past 10 years working with all these different companies, Campbell Soup, uh, Southwest Airlines, and I talk about here's what you do. Like here's some great practices that you can do. And so it's very short, digestible mm -hmm. sections, very practical. But then they also positive leaders unite their organizations mm. and they connect with the individual. Mm. They lead with purpose. They pursue excellence. So it's not about, hey, we're just positive. We're having fun. There's this myth out there that positive leaders are all about Pollyanna. Right, yeah. That, right, you can do it, Pookie. <laughs> right, right. That they're not tough. That they're, they're not about competition. They're yeah. not about excellence. No, Pete Carroll is a positive leader. Yeah. And he's one of the most competitive people you'll ever meet. Absolutely. So here's what they are, though. They're demanding without being demeaning. Mm. They provide love and accountability. So Dabo Sweeney, huge in that. Alan Mullally, I interviewed. Alan turned around Ford, 2006. They were losing $14 billion. 
That's not good. That's not good. Alan told me, he said, you got to love him up, John. There was a lot of love, but you got to hold him accountable to the process. Everyone has to know the plan, embrace the plan, and relentlessly work towards the plan. So I've got some amazing gems from him that he shared with me. He spent an hour with me on the phone. It was like getting a, you know, an MBA afterwards. Yeah. It was so amazing what he did and how he turned around forward. Had him profitable in two and a half years during the Great Recession. Took him through that. Everyone thought the sky was falling. Everyone was terrified. He said, wallowing is not an option. Complaining is not an option. We have a plan. We will adjust if we need to, but we will continue to work towards the plan. It was incredible. So they said it was one of the greatest leadership feats in history. And they're killing it today, and they didn't and take government money. And Everything he yeah. set up then, they're enjoying the fruits of that now. So mm. I share some of his wisdom. And then also, positive leaders, they have a purpose, and they share their purpose. So it's about this bigger purpose that leaders work towards. And then finally, positive leaders have grit. So that's the framework. Nice. And then there's a lot of example stories and practices within this framework. So if you're a leader, you'll benefit from it to improve yourself as a positive leader. I'm better connecting with your team, leading with more optimism. If you are a developing leader, someone who's young in an organization, and they say, hey, you're a future leader, this is going to be a great book for them as well. So I'm excited. So it's a little bit of a departure from the fable dynamic. So. A different John Gordon more of a reflective of the fact that you've been this influencer and you're around influencers and you're a student as I am yep. and you're analyzing and I'm excited for this. We had a conversation I think back in 2011 and I said, man, I'd love to read about the stuff you're learning because of the spot you're in today. And that was the conversation I had with you six years ago. Wow. And so I should have listened even back. Well, then. here's what you were doing. Experience and wisdom doesn't grow quickly. You know, you had an inspiration in three and a half weeks. It's like sometimes I've talked to some great artists and they wrote a song in 45 minutes yeah. and then the next one took 30,000 hours, you know? Yep. The wisdom books take a long time. And this book, yeah, it had to take a while to write because it's really everything I've learned in the last 10 years. Mike Smith and I wrote, you win in the locker room first and mm. the seven C's to build a winning team. And that was more of a how-to book. And after writing that, I thought, you know, people really benefited from this. And when I thought about this Power Positive Leadership book, I said, you know what, I'm going to write it in that style. I'm going to come back and write a fable probably in a year or two, another yeah. one. But this has been a fun style to write about. Well, I can tell you, you were kind enough to send me an advance copy. It was great. I'm waiting for the real thing to come out here, which by the time I think this podcast comes, we'll be right on the cusp of the release of that book. I'll just tell people what I'm doing with it is that we have some time set aside to do an event for our own staff. And I'm buying a copy for every one of my staff. And we're going to go through it. And I'm going to pretend to be John Gordon for a, a couple hours. <laughs> and I'm going to walk people through it in my own staff. Because I lead leaders and they lead their clients. And so that's what we're going to do. And I'm very excited. And I'm delighted that you're bringing that other side to John Gordon that I've witnessed behind the stage, that I've witnessed in relationship and in private conversations as a student, as an influencer, being in the locker room, being in the boardroom, being with these Fortune 1 and 500 people, we get exposed to some pretty cool things. And you know what? We should. We were the guys ironing our shirts down at the front desk, and we were the guys in the back of the car with the temperature on our way to Iowa. And so it seems like if you put that work in, you reap the harvest, right, if you don't grow weary. So great stuff. I have some questions I'd love to do with you. You don't know what's coming. Okay. We, these are five questions I like to ask. It gives this different frame. They're kind of short, sweet, but it, what it does is it gives people a little perspective on who John Gordon is. So here's the first one I got for you. What's the single best piece of advice you've ever gotten? 
Dr. James Gills, the only guy on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. Jeez. And the last time he did, he was 59 years old. How did he do it? He said, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. <laughs> he said, if I listen to myself, or all the negative, all the fear, and all the doubt. But if I talk to myself, I could feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. So mm. keep moving forward. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you uh, currently don't? Easily. In my book, The Seed, I wrote about this young guy who goes on a journey to find his purpose, but he's, all, he's a musician. Mm. He plays the guitar, sings from stage. I wish I could be on stage. I wish I could sing, play yeah. guitar, and then also speak and do both. That would be amazing if I was musical. And my grandfather, on my biological father's side, he was a composer and composed with Leonard Bernstein, but I did not get any of those genes, obviously. Now, I want to tell you this. The most successful leaders and coaches and celebrities that I've interviewed, the number one answer is always something musical. Yep. And isn't it interesting? And, you know, our moms were trying to get us to play the piano or whatever it is. <laughs> For me, it was the tin whistle because that's what we could afford. But uh, isn't it funny that later in life, all these Uber billionaires, you know, sports owners, movie star, I mean, you name it. Lou Holtz, first thing out of his mouth, I wish I could play an instrument, you know. And so, isn't it all the same? Yep. All right. What book has been most influential or instrumental in your life? Wow, that's that's too hard because there's been so yep. many that yep. have influenced me. Definitely Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm. many years ago because that was when I was struggling and I thought, you know what? I need to be my own boss. I yeah. need to create something. Instead of going to work for someone, I need to create something. So that was very influential at that time. But there's been so many books on the journey that have been influential. Mark Batterson's book, Circle Maker, mm. you know, recently has influenced me. John Orberg's book, Soul no. Keeping. Love him. Yeah, and All the Places to Go. It's a book that actually combines, like, it's a faith book, spiritual book, but also combines, like, Dr. Seuss kind of rhymes. It's, like, one of the most brilliant books I've ever read. Mm. It's great. I'm Love still it. being influenced. I'm still reading books that sure. are influencing me right now. You know? Sure. So it's about the journey that we're on. We better. I, I promise you this. If we stop reading the books, we'll stop writing them. I know that. Right. And Og oh, Mandino, The Greatest Salesman, my That's mom my gave boy. me that book when I was... In college, I read that book, and it's so interesting that I write fables now, and Ogmandino was you know, one of the pioneers in that. You know, in the 20th century, the only book that outsold Ogmandino's books was the Bible. Wow. And that was a guy that in his 40s was literally living in a car and looked in a window on a rainy day in Cleveland and had 10 bucks and was going to go buy a gun and end his life. What a brilliant guy. And you know, it's wow. funny. You know, I've told people this before. I've looked up YouTube clips of Ogmandino as my yep. inspiration. And you'll see 7,000 views and 8,000 views of stuff that has transformed my life and helped me in business and life and everything else. And then you'll see something like a panda sneezing go viral and 300 million <laughs> people are watching it. You know, it's like, and it's all there. It's all there. So, yeah, Ogmandino. At the Buffini Company headquarters, we have actually have a Mandino room as one of our uh, rooms. I love it. Hey, uh, George Raveling said, you know, he's the head of... Uh, Nike sure. sports market for basketball, 80 years old. He said that there's no excuse for, for anyone not to learn. We have a library now in our pocket, in our phone. Mm. How could you not learn when you have every book you could ever want and need right here on your phone? Nice. All right, next one. Favorite song or group? When John Gordon needs to get it on, what songs is he going to play to get him in the mood? Get your energy up, get you fired up. What's it going to be? 
There's so many, but I would say uh, Journey, Don't Stop Believing. Come on. Little window into my past when I was on the lacrosse team at Cornell University. I was a freshman, and we had to take these road trips to play games. And Coach asked us to sing our fight song from high school. I didn't have a fight song. So I got up on there on the mic, on the bus, in front of all my teammates, and I started to sing Turn This Mother Out by MC Hammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, boom, like thunder, and you wonder, how in the world can the hammer be underneath me? You want to beat me? Say yes to the master, and I will teach thee. So, um, Who said you couldn't sing? Come on, man. you got to do that in the seminar. you got to put that, that in. Before, you got to. Never... Are you kidding me? You need to double your fee. You need to put the hammer, don't hurt, right in the middle of there. So then I started to do this running man on the bus while I'm doing that. Probably they would never allow that today, right? Yeah. So all my friends started saying, go hammer, go hammer, go hammer. And that became my nickname. And to this day, anyone from college sees me, hey, hammer, they call me hammer, which is hilarious because, you know, it's just, that's my nickname for MC Hammer. So I would say that was also a, a favorite song and, and uh, you can't touch this as well. Fabulous, fabulous. Okay, last one. What movie do you watch over and over again? You're flicking through the channels, you're tired, you're, whatever else, uh, you're in a hotel room and it comes on and you go, you've watched it before, but you stop and watch it again. What's that one? What a great question. There would be two there. I would say one, Rocky, because mm. it's been a huge inspiration in my life. I wrote my college essay on Rocky, mm. a person of underdog trying to find his worth and value. Just love that story. And then I Am Legend with uh, Will Smith. Interesting. I mean, that movie is just incredible yeah. when you see that movie. And Jerry Maguire as well. just love that movie. Sure. That's great. That's great. Well, listen, you know, I have one last thing I'm going to throw at you here, and then I want to thank you for your time today. This has just been a hoot. I hope you've had fun. I, I hope the people listening have learned something, you know, but it's, it's nothing else. I've had a blast. I, I can't believe this is what I get to do every day. But um, let me ask you this. This podcast is now reaching people. You know, I, I did it because I wasn't going to keep going on stage every day to try to reach everybody. I'm still doing our events and our coaching and all that stuff. But now this podcast is listened to in 139 countries. I had to wow. look to look up some of the countries the other day. <laughs> uh, seriously, I was like, where is that? And so let's say someone's listening today. They're not in the greatest spot in the world. They might be negative. Their wife or spouse may have given them bad news. They might have a kid making some poor decisions. They might have encountered some tragedy. They might have a business they just shuttered. You know, they might be just, like a lot of people, just stuck. They don't know what their purpose is. They feel flat. They're going to work every day, but... It's just kind of blah. What just one piece of advice would you have for someone who's out there, who's in need of some encouragement today, and maybe the, to move forward? Two things. Just focus on getting better every day. Mm. The goal in life is not to be better than anyone else. It's to be better than you were yesterday. Brian, I'm going to tell you this. I want to tell the world this. I mean, I've seen you speak. You're incredible. I don't think I became a good speaker until about two years ago. It mm -hmm. took me a long time to really get comfortable on stage. As you know, I did some of your early events. Mm -hmm. Only now am I hitting my stride. But when I watched you speak, it helped me because I saw, okay, now there's a guy who is a master at it. So you learn from different people. You get better at it. You grow. And again, where you are is not where you're going to be. So mm -hmm. it's to continue to improve and get better every day. And the second thing is just to continue hope and have hope and have faith and keep that faith alive. You know, I speak to a lot of companies. I don't share my faith when I'm in companies, mm -hmm. but you cannot live a life of optimism and belief without faith because you must have faith in something bigger. So as we move towards Easter 
it's important to remember that on Friday and Saturday, the disciples were hopeless. They were lost. Everything they believed in, everything they hoped for, everything they longed for was now gone when Jesus died. And here they were, hopeless on Saturday, yet Sunday was coming, and then Sunday came. And so you may feel like you're in Saturday, is what I would tell these people, because many of us are living in Saturday. We're between something that happened and something that's coming, and we're uncertain, we're fearful, we're worried, but I just want these people to know that Sunday is coming, and it will come for you, and your job is to stay positive and trust that God has a plan, and that is the ultimate hope. Well, my friend, I don't know when you got good, but uh, I got the goosebumps. That was freaking awesome. That's the best thing I can say. (laughs) Thank you, brother. I love you. I'm so happy for you, proud of you, thankful for you, excited to always promote what you're doing. Because I know when someone reads something that John Gordon has written, he's poured his heart and soul into it. And only good things happen from that. And I'm a fan. I'm in your corner. I always will be. And I'm really thankful for you taking the time to be with us uh, here today. I know you blessed a lot of people. And the best of luck with the new book and whatever I can do to help. And by the way, it sounds like I need to get you back to some of our events. And maybe we do this. I'll make this pronouncement to the world right now. Maybe I'm going to get John Gordon to come speak at one of our success tours next year. And we are going to showcase for the first time ever (laughs) the hammer. We are going to do the hammer right there and light up the world come on are you there you got it all right brother i'm in all (laughs) in all in (laughs) thank you so much well all right thanks brian you're the best you betcha i hope you guys enjoyed today's show don't forget and head over to itunes and leave us a review we're also on android so you can download your favorite podcast app from google play and tune in for free we love hearing your feedback so keep those reviews coming you know our goal here we don't do ads we don't do sponsors we don't do any of that stuff it's simply to positively influence as many folks as we can if you enjoyed this podcast today here's what i want you to do share the message who do you know that could use a little encouragement from john gordon today share this podcast with them and make their day so as i finish here today i leave you with a little irish blessing john just came back from ireland with his wife who's a carol from ireland she has great irish tradition So she would love this. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time. 